ladies and gentlemen, tonight, the reigning, defending, 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 undisputed, universal, heavyweight champion, Wildcat Radio 2.0, bear down, you beautiful people. What's up, Wildcats? Welcome to Wildcat Radio 2.0. I am Adam Green, joined once again by Brett Barry. And Brett, Arizona sports, the Wildcats, basketball wasn't great. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) First time we're talking about this podcast where Arizona's lost a game. We're recording this podcast on Wednesday night. Arizona has now won a game. They beat Omaha, and that was not competitive like everyone expected it would be. And everyone expected it would be non-competitive. Um, but the last big game, the one we were all excited about, was the game against Baylor. It didn't go so well. We're going to talk about that and the next big game, which is Gonzaga on Saturday. But first, Brett, let's get some football talk out of the way. Undefeated in December. Yes. Is that true? When did the game, I guess the game against ASU ended. No, it, was ended it was still Saturday night. No, I think it was still Saturday night. I think so. But Arizona kind of made headlines this week for not great reasons. Uh, the Pac-12 released its all-conference teams, and Arizona had no one on the first or second team. Um, they got five guys honorable mention, but it's just like, I guess you win four games. What would you expect? You win four games, you get five guys on honorable mention. <laughs> More than one guy per win, so that's yeah, something. There you go. I mean, there was a couple surprises of guys you'd think, like Tony Fields, you thought maybe played well enough to get consideration, but, I mean, who are you going to argue with in terms of uh, pr- from production-wise or just what you're seeing on the film and in the outcomes of the games. Let's be real. You get more players on those things when you're winning games. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing. It's like last season you could argue J.J. Taylor would have been good for that. Poindexter was good last year. Sean Brown could have made a case. That's last season. This season at best, like you said, Fields, he made some good plays, but he was also made some bad plays, and he was on a bad defense. Schooler didn't have a great year. J.J. Taylor was hurt, and when he came back, he wasn't all that impressive numbers wise like sadly and that's what you would expect from a four-win team but they didn't have anyone who was worthy of being a first or second team member now i know like asu people they had Jaden daniels was like the second team or i'm mentioned quarterback behind keaton slovis so like oh well Jaden daniels like really like which metric are you using is it stats because you don't have those is it wins you don't have those like i don't understand that like but there's not one person on arizona you could say well wait a minute that guy should that just didn't happen this year. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Jaden Daniels had a fine season, but he was more for all the talent he has. He's been more of a game manager, kind of reflecting Herm Edwards, right? And you know, you just don't have the stats or or the wins to back that up. And Arizona guys had neither neither stats wins exactly. for anything. Like, so who, who's to argue that? And I mean, we all know there's a general uh, the talent level is not where we want it to be on the roster. And the wins were not there. the The game planning was not there. The stats weren't there. As a result, the wins weren't there. So you're not you're not surprised. Yeah, it's not one of those. And the stat I saw, everyone's favorite Arizona writer, Greg Hansen, tweeted it out <laughs> um, that the only time like, Arizona had no players selected in the All Pac-12 for the second team that's happened. Uh, only times it's happened in the last forty years: 2016, 2017, and twenty nineteen. And it's an incredible stat when you think about it. Three of the last four years, but then you look at it: twenty nineteen. Four wins for Arizona. 2017, they won seven games. They were pretty decent, but 
other than Khalil Tate and maybe Schooler had a good freshman season. They had some guys, but no one really just blew up and said, like, that guy's a first or second team win. In 2016, Arizona won, what, three games again? <laughs> like, it's like, surprise, bad team has bad players. Like, and Greg Hansen should have added, hashtag get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those where you see that stat or that note, I don't know if it's a stat, and you're like, oh, okay, because it kind of puts it into context. Like, yeah, they haven't been that good of late. But it doesn't really surprise you. Well, and, and, you know, another thing that's common in all those seasons and it shows up on teams that just don't have depth is when you have injuries, you don't have the stats, you don't have the wins, you don't have any of those things when you have injuries. And we had plenty of those this year. You know, would they have dictated us winning seven or eight games? Maybe, maybe not. But, I mean, even J.J. Taylor didn't play, you know, nearly as many snaps as he has in the mm-hmm. past. Brightwell had times where he was not getting very many touches when he was kind of dinged up. You know, what... There, there's, it's just a situation where if you're, I, I don't know, if you're going to get upset about that, I think I want a roster of people that'd rather have eight or nine wins and all honorable mentions and no first or second team guys. And <laughs> you know, Khalil Tate won the Heisman for October 2017, but we, yeah. we didn't win anything, and he didn't actually win a Heisman. So like, who, who cares? And that's the thing. If you win games, like if you play well, you'll win games. If you win games and play well, the the things will happen. You'll get those awards. People will talk about you in a positive way. And you mentioned just Arizona, the recruiting. It kind of shows that they haven't had the type of talent. Kevin Sumlin and the coaching staff, we see them tweeting about where I'm not good at geography. I can't identify states with a map. I don't know if you've seen them, Brett, where it's like, they'll be like, Taylor Mazzoni in this place. I'm like, what state is it? I know Texas. I know California. I know Arizona. Once you get into like the southeast, I'm just kind of like, um, there's somewhere. Hopefully there's good players there. But it seems like, and this is what you'd expect them to be doing, right? They're not preparing for a bowl game. Their, their season's over, and they talked about it after the ASU game, honor the process. You just got to recruit and all that. And that, like, all they have to do right now is recruit. But it does seem like this coaching staff, which isn't complete, they still haven't made any hires for the defensive side of the ball, the guys that they let go during the season. At least it seems like they're doing something. And it's not quite the meme where poking the dead thing with a stick or whatever. Like, come on, dude. Like, they're doing their job. But at least, does it give you any confidence that, hey, the coaching staff is doing what it can to try and get better. Yeah, I mean, I think we spoke uh, about it the last time where there was, you know, after the fact, you find out coaches weren't putting in that much effort uh, in terms of being on the recruiting trail and being getting to schools, getting in, into kids' family, you know, into their houses. Yeah, it was in the athletic parents. article. I got to wonder if, uh, you know, <laughs> I got to wonder if some of the, those, the, the action on Twitter is not just to build hype for, uh, for you know, their recruiting class, but to kind of... You know, a lot of the U of A diehard fans are following all those assistant coaches. They want to see that they're out there on the on the road, and you know, it helps kind of quell that inaction that we talked about. Does it? Because they haven't. It's not like they've gotten guys to commit. They're in on. We see some of the guys. They're in the linebackers on Mason Cobb. There, we've seen some other guys. And you say, oh, they're in Louisiana to talk to this player. But until those guys decide, hey, I'm going to go to U of A, and we talked about Reagan Terry last week, and now he's got an offer, and apparently going to be visiting USC. So that's cool. But that's where I wonder. It's like, yes, they're out there, and it looks like, hey, they're they're doing the thing. They're going to go get talent. But until you bring those kids to Tucson and then, of course, coach them up and have them play well, it doesn't mean much. Well, you, you don't commit until you recruit them, <laughs> unless, unless maybe you're USC or somebody <laughs> just like, the, I would like to commit to you, please. Um, so that, that's happened, I don't think, for USC, but there are players who committed and are like, we never offered you. 
<laughs> I guess you could come pay for your education, but <laughs> I mean, once in a while you hear that in like in the in the Twitter sphere and on like the message boards where somebody's saying and they're like saying, "Oh, I've got an offer from here." And it's like you do. <laughs> Congratulations! Does the does or the like, program know that? Or like the or that one? Uh, which who was it? It was uh, the one basketball player. And they were saying that they won over a recruiting battle with U of A. Oh, like, the, one of the other Bagleys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were like, "Oh, we totally beat you on recruiting." It's like they stopped recruiting him. Like two years ago yeah good player but yeah <laughs> you know this, we go back to kind of what we were talking about last week u of a fans in my opinion need to be need to learn patience and i know that's a hard thing to say well and after like, nine wins in two seasons yes yeah but you know and this is where the there's at least i think with those tweets and them going and uh crisscrossing the country uh you know theron h has been hitting a different state every day it seems like based on twitter um you know they got to be out there and putting in the miles and they're they're showing people that they are trying to follow the process. Now we'll see what pays off and maybe it's maybe it's in the class this class I know they've put started putting out a little more offers out a, a year or two out, which is really kinda how you need to be doing it. Yeah, if I'm one of those kids like, are you even still gonna be there a year from now? Yeah. Well our A D is because we extended him. <laughs> but I guess you say like it's they're putting in the work, they're crisscrossing the country, and it sure seems that way. And that's where you kind of, I wonder, and this is the cynic in me, and again, it goes back to, it's like, don't confuse activity for achievement. Like, they're out there, but what are they doing? Like, you should be out there. Is, is it more for sure? And you have to, and I don't know if this pacifies Arizona fans, because, again, nine wins in two seasons, this coaching staff... By all accounts, for people two weeks ago thought wouldn't be back next season. They're still around. You talk about honoring the process, this and that. And the only way to get better is to get better players and coach them up. And like you said, for most schools, you have to recruit those guys to get them to come to you. But until that happens, all we see is on Twitter that coaches are visiting players. And when they get a guy like Reagan Terry, you feel good about that. Because like, oh, that's a guy that they wanted, that Nebraska want, other programs want, and he committed to Arizona. And assuming he actually signs with Arizona, that's a good get. But just visiting guys doesn't do anything. Sure. And especially there's how many people think who would commit to Arizona? Maybe that's where the question becomes. Like, who would commit to Arizona? Why would you commit to Arizona? The, the selling point has to be playing time. Mm-hmm. It has to be, and like Reagan Terry said, he was course like, they made it sound like they needed me. They didn't just want me, they needed me. Well, there's a lot of players that Arizona could really need right now. That has to be the selling point. But I was never a high-level athlete in high school or college or after college or now in my or, mid-30s. Or pre-high school. Yeah, I'm really asking. never. I've never been a high, I was good in a, in a little league. I made an all-star team. But if I'm, look, if I'm a high-level athlete, I'll try to put myself in those shoes. Like, you're committing to a head coach, oftentimes more than a school. Like, if, unless you have a dream school, you're committing to the head coach. It's got to be interesting to commit to a school and say, I'm going to be there for the next three or four years, or maybe five if you're redshirt a year, for a coach who two weeks ago people thought would get fired, who there's a lot of people right now who think a year from now will have been fired. Yeah, I mean, and I think this kind of goes back to if we, it would be a little bit easier to do that recruiting if you had your full staff in place and you'd have a lot clearer vision of what, the systems are going to look like next year on defense, you know, who your position coaches are going to be, which is a different nuance in college football compared mm-hmm. to like basketball. Like Sean Miller is who all those players are committing to, not the assistants in college. It, you know, the personal yeah, your position coaches matter. The position coaches matter. 
Uh, hell, down to the grad assistants and recruiting coordinators matter. You know, that it's just... And and then when the analysts become your coordinator and position coaches midseason, they matter. I mean, our our grad assistant is like two heartbeats away from head coach. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's... So I... It sounds like there's been some movement in the background, very tight-lipped in terms of that. Um, and in the meantime, all you can do is be is be getting in front of those players. And it seems like someone himself has been putting in the effort as well. And if to your point, if you're st- if you're still committing to a head coach to some extent, and you know, I got to assume that Kevin Sumlin and the the remaining coaches slash analysts, they have a pretty good sense of where things are going with the staff. They have. You know, nothing is. I'm sure they will say nothing is guaranteed. I'm sure the sales pitch is, "Hey, look at the playing time that's available, especially if you're a position of need." And if I'm Kevin Sumlin, I'm saying, "Look at all our young talent that we got. That was our only one recruiting class. We're relying on a lot of freshmen and guy first year guys transfers. All we need is a few guys like you to fill in these key positions." And I don't think that's completely Pollyanna-ish. Like the talent disparity between a four win team and a seven win team is not that much, right? And then you figure there's if kids want to play, they want to get to the next level. There's only so many. I mean, there's a lot of schools out there they could play for. But Arizona, for all that's gone wrong, they're still in the Pac-12. That's something. There's still a program that people know about. They've been on TV. They've been on ESPN. They've been on national TV. So it's as bad as things seem. Arizona's been plenty bad before and still gotten pretty good players, right? So it's yeah. It's easy to sit here and say, why would you go there? Well, there, there's enough reasons you, well, and, to commit there. And, you know, if I was them out recruiting, I would also be selling the pitch on, like, you know, show, show what the university there. It's a, Tucson is a big, small college town, right? It's a million-person t- city, but it still has a small college town feel. And if, you, if you're a part of building something, then you're, you know, you're, you're king for that time period, right? You're, it's kind of a big fish, small pond mentality, which can be a positive selling point, yeah. right? Reagan Terry goes to USC. It's like, I hope you enjoy uh, being uh, a rep guy in practice because you're probably not seeing the field for three years at best. U of A, you might be starting next year. And you can be the big man on campus, right? Yeah. And, I mean, you got to – I think you got to be direct and honest with those recruits and the families and, you know, show them that you actually care about them. I mean, some of those big programs, they don't they don't give a crap about the players, really, unless they're a five-star guy. They they're just, you know, it's all the NCAA big system of money system. You know, it's a different kind of sales pitch, and that's how you got to approach it. That, I like that. That's the pitch. Like, we actually like you. We care about you. Those guys, they don't care about you. Yeah. Like, what was it? Uh, who was the O lineman that flipped to Oregon at 5 a.m. when he got the offer of the morning? Oh, of, yeah. I forget his name. His name. <laughs> then he ended up transferring to ASU. Yeah. Uh, oh gosh, he's a guard, right? Uh, offensive guard. He's an offensive lineman. I'm blanking on his name, but I know what you're talking about. And it's like I know, like he, Oregon I, was his dream school, supposedly. He, he grew up there, so I was a little, you know, fairer. But it's like some of those other guys that flipped at the last minute. It's like, do you not see that they don't actually care? They just need a warm body, and you were next on the list. And, but that, like, that's that's what's funny is Arizona, and maybe until you are Alabama, until you're. Oregon, right? Until you're those guys when you can go get every five and four star, and you settle for the high three stars that you yeah. know are under because players want to come to you. You have to convince them that coming to Arizona is in your best interest, and part of that is also proving that you're going to coach them up and get them to the NFL. Yeah. And that's where Arizona struggled recently too, especially under Rich Rodriguez. They haven't been sending guys to the NFL. They haven't had players going at 
P.J. Johnson was, what, a seventh-rounder last season, and he's yeah. been on practice squads. I think he's with the Chargers now, their practice squad. And they got a few guys that are making plays in the NFL. I think Demetrius Flanagan, Flanagan Fowles is making plays. and like So that's happened, but you need that. So not only are you saying, okay, like for Reagan Terry, and I'll just use him because that's one that seems to be a battle Arizona has. If the idea is come to Arizona, you're going to play with – a lot as a freshman and quite likely start as a sophomore or go to USC and it'll be your junior year before you even do anything. Well, still, what's the best path to the NFL? Is it being an okay player on U of A or is it getting one, one and a half, two good seasons at USC? And that's what you have to sell them on. And Kevin Selman at A&M did a good job of getting guys to the NFL. He was very good at that, had some top draft picks. Miles Garrett, for instance, was a someone guy. He shows a lot of fight in the NFL. He does. <laughs> he uses his head... <laughs> protection as well. But that's the thing. It's like you have to prove that. So it's not just go to Arizona because you're going to play because it's like go to Arizona because you're going to play and you're going to develop and you're going to go to the next level. And that's what someone has to be selling them on that. Hey, you might be a three-star recruit, but you're going to play a lot as a freshman, plenty as a sophomore. And by your junior year, you're going to be a name. And by your senior year, you're going to be on the NFL draft boards and ready to go pro. Well, I mean, let's to continue down the Reagan Terry question. I mean, nobody thought, Nobody, fewer people thought Clay Helton would be the coach of USC today than people thought that Kevin Sumlin would still be the coach of Arizona. But if they fire Clay Helton, I imagine USC fans feel pretty confident they could get someone good. I, I would assume they probably didn't fire him only because they couldn't get Urban Meyer this year. Probably. <laughs> um, if they could have got Urban Meyer, they would have found the money uh, to fire Clay Helton. The funny thing is, and I would, if I was a person without a full-time job, I've always had this working theory, and I've talked with a couple of my friends who are big college sports guys that were pretty involved in recruiting, like Wright Frazee, Desert Swarm. I have a working theory that the hit rate, you know, the guys that actually pan out and perform on guys that decommit and flip, I, you, even if they're a four-star, I think their success rate is so much lower because I think that tells you those guys are the ones that are just looking to be recruited or looking for... They like the know, attention. Yeah, as opposed to the, somebody that says, hey, this is the right fit for me. And I, I think that applies to guys that have flipped to Arizona. And I think you can see that in some of our guys that we That's got to be so tough, though, as a 17-, 18-year-old kid to make sure. that decision because it's it could impact it, it will impact your life oh absolutely you make the right choice and you develop and you a first round draft pick and your career is set you make the wrong choice coaches get fired you lose a lot of games the training staff isn't very good you're always hurt just that's a lot <laughs> it's, yeah, i mean it's i i don't envy the kids and their families uh you know and that's so i'm sympathetic and i don't i don't necessarily get mad at people when they flip but i just kind of like how many guys we had flipped to us that were like oh like Chacho, we talked about who's leaving U of A. He was a four star. He was a good get from I think he was Stanford. Stanford. Yeah, he's supposed to be Stanford. And then just you know for various reasons he never quite panned out. Right. Um, some of these other like Ready Short was I think a UCLA commit. Mm-hmm. It was like a high three, low four maybe in some, and he's hardly seen the field. Right. Maybe and he might be one of those guys that uh, leaves in the near future. And maybe you know there's a, a number of factors that go into those things, but like I think the people that know that the staff or you know, whoever's recruiting them, the coaching staff, the analysts, the, the recruiting coordinators uh, care about them, actually want you know, focus on their development, focus on their development not just on the field but off the field. I think that actually applies for a lot, like those high three-star guys. Yeah, they all have dreams of the NFL, but I think you can make a difference in, term, in terms of getting the guys you want to have come to Arizona. You know, think back to some of our big recruits. Go look at our like 247 sports, like top recruits of all times. Like uh, last I saw, Louis Holmes didn't wasn't setting the sack record in the NFL, <laughs> or even 
Give in the Pac-12 or even at Arizona. Yeah, he did next to nothing. I, th- I think he was there when we were on campus, and I remember him uh, driving around and parking in handicapped spots like he owned the place, and it was... Oh. And he just... That's that's what he wanted to do, among other st- stories. <laughs> I heard some things, too, but we can't... We won't speculate. No, no, there's no reason to do that. But you know one thing we will promise everyone is it's Vivid Seats... If you need tickets for anything, that is the way to go for any game, really. Arizona football is done. Basketball is a big game Saturday that we're going to talk about against Gonzaga. You could use it to get tickets for that, too. But however, whatever games, whatever shows you need tickets for, make sure you use Vivid Seats. The easiest way to do that is through the Vivid Seats app, which you can get through the Apple Store or through the Google Store. You can have it for either phone, your devices, your tablets, whatever it is. But with Vivid Seats, you have a 100% guarantee on your purchases. You're not worried about the tickets, any losing your money there. And for first-time buyers, your first purchase, use promo code OVERTIME, and you'll get up to $100 back on your purchase with that promo code OVERTIME. So if you need tickets, and let's be honest, you do. There's something out there you want to see. Like, Absolutely. I know it. Brett knows it. Everyone at Wildcat Radio 2.0 knows it. There's something you want to see. Vivid Seats, Vivid Seats that is your way to do it. So check it out. Remember, enter promo code OVERTIME at checkout. You'll receive your discount of up to $100. So, Brett, Arizona went to Baylor. We were all excited about that game. Not because we thought, oh, they're going to crush Baylor or anything like that, but because we figured, hey, Arizona was 9-0. They haven't really played a murderer's row schedule. This is the first chance to really see them against another good team, another ranked team. Then you find out Nico Mannion had back issues. Josh Green had strep. They're like, oh, that's great. Stone, Stone Gettings. <laughs> Stone is Gettings is a broken face. And like, that's, that's not ideal. The game did not. It wasn't pretty. Bad start. Arizona couldn't shoot straight, and that never corrected itself, really. Got down big a couple of times, but kept fighting back. Had a chance to tie the game at the end. Josh Green missed a three at the buzzer, basically. Not the buzzer, but it was a last-second three-point attempt. And at the end of the day, Arizona suffered their first loss. They've since bounced back with a huge win over Omaha. But focusing on Baylor, I don't know about you. I don't feel worse about Arizona after that game, and I might feel even a little bit better. Yeah, I tend to agree. There's a lot of weird things about that game, right? And we even talked about, like, the early start. Like, there's no excuse for coming out flat, but we also kind of anticipated it, right? And, like, if you take out the first five, ten minutes of that game we win the game, but we spotted them a huge lead, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you, I think, do you have the stats in front of you? I think we made only like 13 field goals for the entire game or it something. Was, it was two three-pointers. But like, I mean, all field goals, but yeah. like 13. Oh, they couldn't shoot straight. I'm pulling up the stats right now. And the fact that they got, they got punched in the mouth, you know, Baylor has some athletes. They have... Uh, you know, they're not, a fit, I mean, they have some guys with some skill, but they, they want to come out and have a dog fight, right? And that, I think that was a great test and a great challenge for the team. And to your point, I think how they reacted to it was the best. I'm pretty sure I texted you five minutes into the second half, and I said the defense is night and day. And even if we, I, I mean, we're going to lose the game, but it's like, all right, this is going to be the good lesson. And then by the end of it, it's like, oh, man, it's there's a non-zero chance of winning this game. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people, if you were wondering, okay, how good is Arizona because they haven't played any good teams, the question wasn't about Arizona's skill because we know they have skill. It was more about, well, does that skill manifest itself against other good athletes, other good teams, the length, you know, the ability to jump, the quickness. And Baylor, they're not the best team Arizona is probably going to play this season, 
But in the environment itself wasn't that crazy because they had their football championship game going at the same time. But Arizona, did they look uncomfortable at times in that game? Absolutely. Offense wasn't looking smooth. It happens when you're missing every shot you take. But they never looked outclassed. They never looked like they didn't belong on the court with them. And there were times last season you'd watch them playing like against a team like Baylor when they just got destroyed on the boards. You're like, wow, Arizona just can't hang with these guys. Yeah. Even when Arizona was down in this game by 10, by 12, it wasn't because you're like, oh, they are so much worse than Baylor. It was because, well, Arizona's playing a bad game right now, but they could and probably should be playing better. So I, that's why I don't think you want to feel you should feel terrible. I mean, it's easy to say that after a loss, like, oh, they're still fine. Like, I'd rather have won the game, but not all losses are saying this wasn't a loss because Baylor was better necessarily. It was a loss because Arizona played a bad game against a good team. Yeah, I mean, did Baylor out-hustle us certainly in the first half? Did they come out and beat us in terms of On three, so, you know, Arizona 14 of 52 for the oh, game. 14 field goals. If I had said they had made 14 total field goals for the game, would you have thought there was any chance of not losing by 25 or more? Not unless 12 of those were three-pointers. Yeah, I mean, we're more likely to hit 14 three-pointers in a game than to hit 14 field goals in an entire game. Well, 26.9%. It was the worst shooting performance in the Sean Miller era. Yeah, exactly. And I would hope for Arizona basketball history, but I guess all the stats I saw said just the Sean Miller era, so that must mean they've shot worse. And there's a number of things that go into that, you know. But to me, the thing that stands out, they still never even got it moving, and they were clearly frustrated, but instead of kind of wilting, they kind of got their feet underneath them and said, you know what, I'm going to will myself to try to get back in this game, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and I've been harping on it every week, basically. Like The thing I've been most concerned about with this team is can they step up on the defensive end? And that second half showed me against good athletes that they can. They played much better defense. Which, you know, if you're summer, it's like, okay, you guys can do it. You've shown me. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> do you, that all the time if now. You, if you play that second half defense and you have average Arizona this roster uh, offense, you're not going to lose many games. No. And to me, I, as soon as that game ended, you know, I, would, I had written it off at halftime and was like, I just want to see them learn a lesson. And they started doing that. I think that's when I texted you and like, wow, the defense is night and day. And then it was like, well, oh, man, they might actually have a chance of winning. And then I got mildly and more interested, but I still didn't expect it. But even as soon as the game was over, I wasn't that upset about it. And my initial thought was, I think we're going to beat Gonzaga now. We learned our lesson. <laughs> There was a stretch, and it was about midway through the second half of that game. Arizona got it down to five. They were pushing the ball, getting stops. And I forget who it was. I want to say it was Mitchell on uh, Baylor. Arizona played great defense the entire possession. This is Arizona's down five. I think they're on like a 6-0 run or 7-0 run or something. And he takes a, like a bailout three from like 30 feet as the shot clock's winding down. He makes it. And then the very next sequence, Arizona pushes it, and Josh Green misses. He should have dunked the ball. Oh, yeah. But he tried to lay it in. You miss that, they go back down and they score. And now it was a five-point game where you probably should have had to have the ball after a missed three, and now you're down 10 again. But to Arizona's credit, they came back. They got some breaks on, you know, they, they got some, Baylor helped a little bit, sure, with some silly fouls, but Arizona came back. And it would have been easy for a team with all these freshmen to say, well, it's, you know, they're a ranked team, it's a road game, this isn't our day, Mannion has a back injury, Josh Green's sick with strep. It's been easy to, just for them to wilt, like you said, and they didn't. So it was entertaining, and they lost 63-58, to 58, but it was 61-58, and Arizona got the ball. Dylan Smith dribbled the ball up court after a missed free throw, and he got it to a guy. Like, I was worried he was just going to go up there and jack up a shot, so to his credit, he didn't do that. Well, because of ESPN, I did not see that possession. 
They were very concerned about Boston College versus whoever it was in, you know, two minutes into that game. You like the, the, do you hear Sean Miller's comment on Dykes, the color guy in that game who was just railing against Nico Mannion for not getting a rebound or something? I didn't understand that. I mean, he was basically yelling at kids to get off his lawn as well. Yeah. Um, And then commenting a little too often on the the Baylor cheerleaders, it seems. I don't like announcers when Arizona's losing. I'll admit to that. Like, that's basically where I'm at. If Arizona's winning, I don't really care about them. If they're, It's like I learned about Bill Walton. Like, when Arizona wins, I'm like, I think he's delightful. When Arizona loses, I'm like, this guy's an idiot. It's like, huh, maybe it's not Bill Walton that's the issue here. Dykes, though, and Arizona wasn't playing well, so I kind of have to wonder how much of that impacted my feelings towards him. But, yeah, he almost seemed angry. It's one thing to be like, that's a bad play, or he's a freshman, he needs to learn from that. Dykes seemed generally upset. And angry with some of these players for the things they were doing. And maybe it's just a tone. I'm not too familiar with his broadcasting. But Miller's comment on him at the press conference, he was asked. And you know Miller, how he could deadpan things. And he brings up his coaching record. He's like, oh, he, you know, he's an experienced guy. You know, his, his record as a coach. So he, he clearly knows what he's talking about. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, we know what you're saying there. Because so, he's like 43 and 48, a career losing record. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, Sean Miller, when he's in a press conference... There is not a wasted word that he says. And he's a master of shade, too. Well, and he, he, is, he is always sending a message to someone, whether it's somebody on his team, in, on his staff, a recruit out there, or, you know, th- he, there's not a wasted breath in the press conference to him. I think Sean Miller's that focused and calculated. Yeah. I mean, that was a little low blow. Um, and I think, I think Sean Miller, like myself, doesn't give a damn what an announcer has to say. At the same time, it did seem like he was trying to, you know, actively short on Nico Mannion draft position for like because <laughs> he was just trying to tear him down as like a prospect. And, and it wasn't Mannion's best game. He made three or fourteen oh. shots, had five assists, but kind of back because injury, it's like calm down. But also because he wasn't rebounding the way you wanted him to. Like that was what he was picking out his rebounding. Like the point guard for Arizona who finished with two rebounds that game, but that's what you're going to get on him for. Of course, number zero in red. I heard that a lot during the game. He's in love with Josh Green, so there was that. But it's, I guess if Arizona had played better, he wouldn't have said all those negative things about them. But, yeah, Miller's comment was just like, that's classic Sean Miller. and hilarious. Because you know that whoever, people were probably texting Nico and telling him, oh, you hear what this guy was saying about you. And Miller said he had dozens of people tell him about it. So he's going to go out there and he's going to defend his guys. He's does, he does that often. Especially the, with Kadeem Allen a couple of years ago at the Pac-12 tournament. He called a timeout against oh, UCLA. Yes. And he just said, like, oh, we, need, we had things to work on, right? It's like, no, we know what you're doing. We know why you did that, and that's fine. You're going to give yourself that plausible deniability with your words, but we know what you meant. In this case, all he had was words. And I'm pretty confident anyone who knows Sean Miller knows exactly what he was going, where he was going with that. Also, he probably doesn't have a lot of love left for ESPN either. So there's, you don't say. that might be a thing, too. Well, they did announce his firing live on air and never apologized for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and I, well, I don't think it's just Nico Mannion getting texts after the game. There were so few Baylor fans there. I'm sure Nico Mannion could hear the color commentating during the game. <laughs> And I think, I, to my to what I was saying, that I don't think Sean Miller has a wasted word. I don't think he gives a damn of what that guy's opinion is. No. But I think he's trying to show Nico, i am got your back, and you're in my family, and I'm going to stick up for you. And That's, that also goes for prospective recruits in the future. Exactly. That, hey, you come to my program, I'm going to coach you really hard, I'm going to make you better, and you're my guy. Yeah. I'll have your back. Like, even Tarzuski, remember that whole hullabaloo? I like using that word. I got to use it in a sentence today. 
when he was in his face when they lost to Oregon that game. It was like, oh, was Sean Miller doing? That's so crazy. And Tarzich was like, I love that guy. Like, I deserve that. And it's an interesting dynamic between coach and player, sure. Yeah. But, yeah, that's, that's what Sean Miller's showing. So the not, no wasted words like you're saying, Brett, that absolutely the case. Like, it's, it's authenticity to his players, too. And I'm sure he, you know, every time you hear from recruits, they say, I want to come here because I want to be coached hard. I want somebody that's real with me. And he's not going to BS these guys. He's not going to promise them anything. He's going to call them an MFer on national TV mm-hmm. and then give that guy a hug and stick up for him the rest of his life. Yeah. You know? So that, that, that's <laughs> – it's a good message that Miller sent. It was funny. Like, I wonder how many people heard that coming. Like, oh, he's complimenting him. And then look at his record. Dykes' record as a coach. Like, oh, huh. Maybe that's a little different. But that, that's the beauty of Sean Miller throwing shade. Yeah. Like, he doesn't just outwardly say, well, that guy's an idiot. He'll be like, oh, he's he knows what he's talking about. He had his he he was a coach. He used to you know his record. He he knows what he's talking about. Clearly, it's like, oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> but Brett, before we move on to the Gonzaga game, let's take a quick break. All right. All right, Brett. Welcome back, Wildcat Radio Two from the Vivid Seats Studio and. Brett, Arizona lost its first measuring stick game, if they need those. They lost it at Baylor. It was close. It was competitive, if not ugly. Wildcats bounced back with a win over Omaha that was not close. It was a fun win because all wins are nice. They covered the 20-something point spread, though. Yeah, did not get to 100. Uh, Wayne got another three, though, the end. Nice. But they did not get 100 in this game. Actual vulnerable mention. (laughs) Hey, he might get it for football now. (laughs) He's the the best player on our football team. 99-49 was the score in this game. No one was looking forward to it. It was one of those like, hey, okay, it's it's nice to feel good about Arizona again. If you felt bad about them after the Baylor game, it's like, okay, this is good teams should do this to a team like Nebraska-Omaha, right? They say Omaha, but Nebraska-Omaha. Not really a lot to take from it. Christian Coloco got more meaningful minutes, and he played pretty well against Baylor in his limited time, so that was was exciting to see. Had the the behind-the-back pass, and... He played some in this game, too, against Nebraska-Omaha. And I, I will say about him, it looks like he has a good feel for the game when he's on the floor. He doesn't look like he's a freshman panicking. when He takes some crazy shots. When there's a big man, I think he's trying to draw fouls, or he thinks he got fouled. He probably did get fouled. He doesn't get the call because he's a seven-footer. But he seems like he's not overwhelmed by the moment. And that was the most exciting thing in that Baylor game for him because he came in and just played and played well. And going forward, it makes you think, okay, that's another tool in the arse and tool belt for Sean Miller to use, especially against a team like Gonzaga, who is every bit as good as a team Arizona is going to face this season. Yeah, he, I mean, he even hit a jump, a little jump shot, I think, a mid-ranger. I mean, he's looked pretty good in any any minutes he's gotten, seems like all season. And for a guy that's only been playing the game for a handful of years, boy, you wonder what, like, you know, a little bit more experience in coaching and about 20 pounds of muscle would do for him in the long run. But in the in the short run, he's certainly not a liability out there. No. Um, if anything, he you know against those big athlete teams, you know, because Chase Jeter is a good fundamental finesse player. He's not a, he's not a bruiser. He's starting to play a little bit better though. He's yeah. starting to find yeah. his well, role on this team. But he's he's not single handedly going to. If you go up against a big freak athlete, big guy, he's going to struggle generally. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you're trying to get into a track meet. Jeter's going to struggle a little bit compared to Coloco is can just get up the, f- the floor in like four four long strides and can seem to keep up and be a good rim protector more than Chase Jeter is. Chase Jeter plays decent defense, it would seem like nothing mm-hmm. great. Coloco has the upside to be you know a game changer at the at the as a rim protector. Well, he's still seven feet tall, and whether he's, like he's seven two, 
Uh, he's, he's a seven-footer. And <laughs> we those, can agree to that. Those extra two inches are all that matters. <laughs> Long, awkward pause. Yes, I want that one to sink in a little bit. But and that's like you see just the way he can alter shots. When you have a player like that, even like DeAndre Ayton a couple years ago wasn't a great shot blocker. He was pretty good in college, but he's just tall. And if you're if you, a tall guy's in position when a guy drives the lane, it's just that added layer of defense for you. Where now your perimeter defense with Josh Green with Dylan Smith is pretty good. Mannion okay. You're, now your low post, you have a guy like Chase Jeter who's a good low post defender. He puts himself in position most of the time, and Najee's okay there too. But when you have a shot blocker, they can erase some mistakes for you. And that's where Coco, he's not playing 30 minutes a game, but he can go out there in a game where Arizona's struggling. And whether it's to grab rebounds or they're struggling down low, it's nice that Shen Miller at this point early in the season has that confidence in him, and it's being justified. It's being rewarded. We can put him out there for five, ten minutes in a game against Baylor where you're struggling in a top 25 matchup on the road. He was a spark. And he was a spark. Exactly. So that's nice. <laughs> like The best version of this team I always thought was if Dylan Smith is consistently making shots. That was going to be the big thing. If you have Anaheim, Dylan Smith most of the season, you're going to win a lot of games because that's just, wow. <laughs> that's an embarrassment of riches Anaheim, at that Anaheim, Dylan Smith plays in the NBA. <laughs> yeah. And if you have that, and if Max Hazard was hitting shots, which he hasn't been hitting shots, but Jamal Baker could handle back a point guard, those were ways you say, okay, this is how Arizona's going to be at their best. You had Christian Coloco, who was a player that you didn't look at him and say they needed him to be good for Arizona to reach its ceiling because it's like, yeah, it's, they have bigs. You know, they had Stone Gettings, they have Najee, you have Chase Jeter. Like, I have Ira Lee. So like, most teams don't have that many good bigs. But if Coloco can be useful, if he can be good and he continues to get better, there are going to be games where there's foul trouble, where there's injuries, or just you need that spark and have a guy like that, a seven foot to seven foot two guy to bring <laughs> off the bench and to maybe block a shot or two. And you get a block shot, transition their way, dunk, you get that spark. Or you just have a guy who affects shots at the rim. Yeah. Okay. Arizona hasn't had that really. Tarzinski wasn't a rim protector. And as much, I know I mentioned Aiton not long ago, but he wasn't thought of as a rim protector so much. He was just a big guy who was imposing at times. Yeah, and the thing with Coloco is he doesn't have to be blocking shots to be impacting things on the defensive end, right? Mm-hmm. Guys are going to pull up and do you know eight-foot floaters that not everybody's as good as Nico Mannion at that compared to trying to drive in and draw a foul, right? Uh, and nobody wants to get their shot blocked at the rim. And also... That wingspan, he's like Rodan sweeping in defensive rebounds and making it, you know, shortened possessions. Even on mm-hmm. teams that are shooting a lot from outside where you tend to get long rebounds, long arms really go a long way in terms of corralling a lot of those. And oh, just according possessions. to ESPN, Coloco's seven foot. Well, we all know ESPN is fake news. He just shrunk, though, for you. So, Well, according to ESPN, Sean Miller was fired. So That's, that's a fair point. But no, but you're making sense, though. He can just, and he's not a starter. And Miller said in his press conference this week that his best years are ahead of him. And yeah. I hope he says it about most of his guys. They're in college. <laughs> They're high-level college athletes. I would hope that their best basketball is ahead of them. But you mentioned how Coloco has been still fairly new to basketball. But it's his, his court sense. He seems to have a really good idea of what he's doing out there. Yeah. And he's active. Like, he kind of has an Ira Lee mentality. Of just, he's going to try. <laughs> You're not worried about his effort when he's on the floor, which for a big, that's huge. Well, and for the talent that we have on the roster, you don't need to ask him to do that much. No. You you ask him to take what the defense gives you, right? Run the court, defend, rebound, you know, move the ball, set some screens. If you get an open shot, take it. That's all you need to do. Keep it simple. It's not like we're trying to get Zignaji the ball at the high post and try to go one-on-one with a guy and pass out of the double team. 
you know, you, you limit what you ask him to do, and he's going to be, I think, really successful in it. Makes you excited about his future, doesn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> his, his upside is ridiculously high. Tremendous. But if he's... I know Miller said during the offseason workouts that this guy was better than people anticipated, that he was more ready than people thought. And a seven-footer who might be 7'2", maybe he's still growing, um, but who comes in and if by his sophomore year he's averaging 12 and 8, you're probably not going to see him for a junior or senior, definitely not a senior season. Well, and he's built for the modern NBA if oh, he yeah. develops, right? Because it's, it's the, the traditional center in the NBA is not so much a thing. Um, you know, it's more about the guys that can run and defend and be role players, right? I mean, there's there's a handful of superstars in the league, and you hope that you you know, get lightning in a bottle on as an NBA roster, and then you're just trying to fill fill role players. He could be a he could have a 15 year career as a role player, and he, that's that's a damn nice life. You know what's awesome is we just spent about I don't know 10 minutes or so talking about Christian Coloco, our third string center. Yeah, you <laughs> <laughs> never get tired of talking about Nico Mannion, Josh Green, and Najee, and again Dylan Smith's been playing well. Chase Jeter's finding himself, and this team which did drop in the rankings. So that's like, okay, that's, you know, Arizona. That's happens when you lose because they had a chance that they would have beat Baylor. They would have moved up a little bit. Everyone's losing, though. They're number 15 now. Everyone's losing. No one's – this is that year. I think there's like four or five undefeated teams left, but they're not the best teams. And that's why where Arizona people say, okay, this is a measuring stick. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But no matter what happens in these games, like we're watching Arizona, and we've seen other teams too. Arizona's good. Mm-hmm. They're going to get better. Mm-hmm. Other teams will, too, throughout the season. But if you had to find a week, if you had to pick out a week, we'll keep this on Arizona big picture before getting to Gonzaga specifically. Big picture, what is Arizona's weakness, as you see it? 11 games in, 10 of them wins. What is, if, if they're not going to reach their ceiling, which could be a Final Four for this team, what's going to keep them out, as you see it right now? I think you could probably guess what my answer is going to be, and it's consistency on defense yeah um and i kind of leave that a little bit vague because it's you know i don't want to pinpoint it down to like perimeter defense or because even if guys are going to get beat and you need to be able to rotate effectively you need to be able to hedge on screens effectively and you know defense is a is more of a team sport even than offense in a lot of ways right you need to be able to trust the guys are going to be covering for when you're helping you need to be able to rotate effectively you need to be able to control the guy in front of you. We had a couple plays. I think it was Josh Green. Even the commentator uh, noticed it. And I, because I noticed it during the game. I'm like, oh, that's one of those plays that's going to go unnoticed where there was a great, I think it was a closeout on a, th- mm-hmm. on a three-point, a would-be three-point attempt. Doesn't get a shot up, has to pass it out or take tries, the dribble. And you know, he closes out, stops him from shooting. But usually on a closeout, then you're at risk of being driven past. And it was a closeout where he stayed wide, low, hands up. You know, He tried to drive, stopped it, and he passed the ball out. The layperson fan is like, this is a you know boring play. It doesn't show up that's, in the box score. That is a that is the play that championship teams make. That's Aaron Gordon's Rondé Hollis Jefferson defense. Those those years teams. If you get that consistently and get smart, uh, you know, team defense in terms of rotating and rebounding and closing out on on shooters, that's where we reach our upside. And if you don't do that, you're going to be a good team, but subject to a great three-point shooting team that is well-coached and moves the ball effectively, exploiting that. I guess defense, of course, is a big thing, and I I trust this team to get there because they do have the players, they have the size, or certain similar teams just didn't have the right mix of talent to be good on defense. This one does, I think. So I believe they'll get there. My biggest fear and or concern is more of a fear, and that's just a backup point guard situation still. 
Like Jamal Baker's done a good job because he hasn't been asked to really run the team so much. And Nico Mannion, say he had the back tightness. He played. He hasn't missed any time yet. So it's unfair to say he's not injury prone, obviously. He's playing. But he seems to be every now, the last couple of games, he has a moment where he twists his ankle or has the back thing. Tonight he had his leg kind of falling on. He got up a little hobbling. He kept playing. He was fine. And there's a lot of teams. Most teams cannot afford to lose their starting point guard. If you have a lottery pick type point guard, and they, he goes down, you're in trouble. <laughs> Arizona's not unique in that way. Yeah. But watching them, it's like when he gets up limping, it's like, oh, no. Like, it's just kind of a reminder of just how how important he is and maybe how tenuous this team's grasp on being an elite basketball program this season is. Because, like, when they lost Brandon Ashley that one season, you knew they were still good. They had so many good players. If they were lost T.J. McConnell, mm. like, I don't know if they would have had enough. Like, Nick Johnson could handle the point a little bit that season, but you would have been a lot worse without T.J. McConnell. Yeah. This team is even more reliant on Nico Mannion to make it go. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And I think and it's a fear. It's not like a team well, concern, but it is. And I think your concern is valid, though. And the, the the thing that you would need if Nico was out for an extended period of time is you need a guy that can win one on one battles and get you points. You know, we need to not not be stuck trying to force feed the ball into one player or, you know, people can adjust around it. It's, mm-hmm. just, you know, he's Nico is the fuel that makes the engine go fast. You know, uh, otherwise you need to have Zeke Naji just go Derek Williams and be able to take over a game and score 30 points a game. And I think he's been great, and I think he has that capability, but I don't know if he's there yet, you know? Right, I, especially the double teams are still frustrating him a little bit. He's, he's not... He hasn't, like, th- that was an underappreciated element of DeAndre Ayton. He was fantastic about passing out of the double team. The problem is we just couldn't get him the ball in the post to get him double teamed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, he struggles a little bit with that, and hopefully he gets better, and you, and you make teams pay from that, right? But right now, if if he's not in there, you have guys that can. I think I actually I love Jamal Baker, and I think he's just he's maybe one of the best, w- most well-rounded players on the team. But he's not necessarily a superstar. He's not somebody that can take over a game. He can't put the team on his back. He kind of reminds me of Kadeem Allen, the f- Kadeem Allen's first year when he was supposed to be a two guard, but they had him play point guard because Arizona was struggling there, and he just wasn't quite there. And then by his senior season, he was a decent point guard for that team. But he still wasn't an actual true point guard. Jamal Baker's learning to be a point guard. He's not as big as Kadeem Allen is, so he has that working against him. But he has that two-guard mentality, the ability to handle the ball, to initiate the offense. But yeah, I don't think he's a point guard yet. Well, I, th- I think he's you know, supposed to be Dutrieve was the backup. until th- you know. I it's... think Baker is just a really good basketball player playing point guard. That, that makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah, you know, like because he's almost like a positionless type player, and he's just he's just a basketball player. Um, and he has a high enough basketball IQ to make a smart play. That's why his assist-to-turnover ratio is very good. He plays good defense. He's a good shooter. You know, he's really good at a lot of things. He's not necessarily fantastic at anything. He's a good athlete. He's not a freak athlete. Right. You know, he's all of those, and that's a super valuable player to have. He's basically a Swiss Army knife type player in my in my mind. Um, and he's sure he's capable of going off for twenty points, but you know, if you're trying to be like, hey, go. Uh, Go score twenty five and get fifteen assists, we because we need it. He's just not gonna. He, that's that's not the player he is, and that's not where his mentality. He's he's not the Brandon Randolph who's just gonna. He'll, he'll get shots off. They might not be good shots. They may not go in. He may get hot for a while. And he he has the upside to score thirty. Baker, I don't think is that guy. He doesn't have that mentality necessarily either. He's just a basketball player, filling in on the roster with the minutes he's getting. You know, I just thought of him and it made me kind of sad. And I'm like, you know, it was supposed to be Dutrieve, the backup point guard. 
No, it wasn't. It's supposed to be Brandon Williams. <laughs> the guy who is, I, I would contend, was by far the best. I mean, to me, he's like the best all around. He's uh, Jamal Baker and him are actually kind of similar in my mind. They're both just basketball. But Williams players. is more of a point guard. A little and... bit more, I think. But I, to me, they're both just good basketball but players. No reason to be made sad about that. He's been with the program still, and he's rehabbing, trying to get back. So hopefully he can. But By the way, he gave my niece, who was at the game a couple weeks ago, a T-shirt. Aww. So, Brett, we're going to talk about the Gonzaga game. But first, let's take one more break. Okay, Brett, here we go. Arizona, everyone looked at their non-conference schedule, and so there's not a lot of opportunities for big wins. And I don't think they need it for the resume, but it'd be nice to have it on the resume. Number 15, Arizona, hosting number 6, Gonzaga. The two basic powers in the West for the better part of the last 10 years or so, 15 years, these have been the two premier programs. It's always fun when they match up. Gonzaga got the better out of Arizona last year in their preseason tournament, but it was a tough game. It was a close game with Justin Coleman going off game. Way more talent than us. Yeah, way more. And the rest of the season kind of bore that out. This should be interesting. <laughs> it's in McHale. I know it's winter break now down there. Finals are this week and whatnot. So we'll see what the crowd looks like. It's been a little bit underwhelming to start the season in McHale, which is tough to say, and but it's true. But this is... Assuming everyone's still healthy, there's no strep throat anymore, there's no back injuries, this is a big game. Yeah, absolutely. It's obviously the highlight of the non-conference season, at least in the home schedule. Um, I think the Baylor game was the measuring stick game. And like we were saying before, I'm kind of happy they got a challenge. They got they got punched in the mouth and maybe even a couple body blows, and they they didn't just you know lay down and take it. They fought back, right? And they showed that they have that toughness. Which, like I said, that gives me the confidence for them entering this this game. Now, Gonzaga is, you know, always a challenge. They've always got good good talent. They're always super well coached. Oh yeah, so, Mark Fee was great. And so, kind of that goes back to what I was talking about uh, before the break. You know, if there's a spot that gets concerning, when I said, you know, a, a, a decent offensive team that's well coached is going to get shots if we don't have consistent defensive effort. So I think this is gonna this is gonna tell us if that second half lesson of you know we can play this kind of defense. Uh, is something that sticks around. Um, you know, Gonzaga's a good team. They've they've beaten a lot of good teams. They mm-hmm. you know, but they only lost one. To, they got blown out by Michigan. Michigan, which who's been quite good to start the season. Though, fun fact, as we're recording, they are losing by ten with three minutes left to Illinois, who we destroyed. So, by the transitive properties, Arizona's probably better than Michigan. I mean, assuming Michigan doesn't come back in this game, which they might because they're who would blow a game up by 10 with like under four minutes left. That's never to Illinois. No one has ever (laughs) has ever done that. (laughs) So, but yeah, they beat Washington. Their most recent Gonzaga. They've beaten Oregon by 73, 72. That was a close one. But these are two of the Pac-12's better teams and they've knocked them both off. They lost to Michigan, who's good. And also we know, and Gonzaga, they they always play a tough schedule, but they're also the type of team that you know their roster, you know what Mark Few does. Rarely are they going to have that bad team anymore. They have they've had better they've had better teams and better rosters. And you look at this, say like Huchimura, Huchimura, Roy Huchimura. Ronnie always does the names. I never had to worry about that. The guy who was good against Arizona, yeah, last year. Sons to draft badly, but like you knew he was good, and so it's they don't always have those type of guys. This season, they're being led by Philip Petrusev. Petrusev? 
Ronnie, I need you, man. Come back. <laughs> now he's averaging about 16 points, eight and a half rebounds a game and one assist. Got a couple other guys in double digits. Corey Kispert, Killian Tilly, Drew Timmy, who I know was a U of A prospect at one point. They were interested in him. And Joel Ayayi, not to be confused with Jay Ajayi. Nice work on the names. I got you. <laughs> so they're, they're a balanced team, though. This isn't a yeah. team that's relying on one or two guys, similar to Arizona, where you're going to say, okay, if you want to stop that guy, you can, but then you have to worry about the other four or five who can beat you. And again, they're going to be so well coached because it's Gonzaga. Yeah, I think if we go back to what I was saying like a week or two ago, I think Arizona has enough talent on the roster that they can focus on being the best that they can be in terms of what they're, how they're operating, how they're playing defense, how they're executing on offense. And if you do that, the wins come. And I don't think that there, you know, there's not the NBA talent that Gonzaga had previously, right? No. They, they had a couple. Not NBA the dominant guys, type talent, right? not the lottery type talent. I forget the other guy, the other big guy on their roster, I think, made a, made the, an, who's picked up by an NBA team, too. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, but he was a great player, too. Another guy that the Suns could have drafted and they decided not to. Well, we do interesting things sometimes. They got Cam Johnson, though, so that was cool. Yeah. Too bad we didn't get his brother to come to U of A. Yeah. So that was all part of the plan, too. Yeah. But anyway. Um, so, so, you know, at the end of the day, there's nobody on their roster. Granted, I haven't watched a lot of the Gonzaga games this year. But, you know, in terms of just raw talent, there's nothing that blows you away. But they're going to be a balanced roster. They're going to be well coached. And if you're not ready to play... They they will run you out of the gym a little bit, right? And they're going to shoot the three ball. They have three players who've already taken more than forty three pointers this season, yeah. led by Kispert, who's made twenty seven of sixty five threes. So <laughs> you're going to have to guard the three point line. That's something that Arizona struggled with at times, especially in Anaheim. They, mm-hmm. you could say they fixed it against Baylor, although Baylor's not a great shooting team. You could say they fixed it against Nebraska Omaha, but they're not. I mean, it's well they they. They fixed it a little bit in the second half against Baylor. Yeah. Right? And that's like we were talking about that closeout from Josh Green. You need all the players doing that consistently and effectively. And if you have that, you win this game by 10 points. You think? I th- if, you, if they play their best defensive, uh, to their best of their defensive capabilities, I think they win easily. If you are inconsistent on defense, you're at best going to be in for a battle and you might, get, you might get beat by 10. What makes this interesting is Petrusev, because I wanted to pronounce his name again. Being their leading three, 6'11", 235. He's a sophomore. Didn't really see much of him last season. Arizona has a freshman big who's about that size, and Zeke Naji. They have Chase Jeter, who's about that size, with a little bit of experience, and they have the seven foot to seven foot two Christian Coloco. If they could throw it in, just for Arizona's bigs, and a couple of years ago when you had eight and in wrist, you felt, okay, Arizona's going to dominate down low. In most games, they did. Their guard play was questionable that season, but down low, they had a pretty good low post game. This season, I want to see that again. I want to see a front line with Jeter and Zeke Naji dominate teams. And the rebounding hasn't been there for Arizona we've seen in the past. It's not terrible, but you'd like to see them just dominate the glass. They've been getting some pretty good looks down low, and that's where Jeter's starting to play better, making more of those shots around the rim, where he was pretty good last season. He's missing some of those bunnies this year. He's starting to get more comfortable, it looks like. And then, of course, Naji working through those double teams, finding his way again. This is a good test. One, for them to play defense on a guy like this who can score, he can rebound, but also to be successful offensively against a front line that includes them. Yeah, if, if I'm Sean Miller, I'm trying to t- I'm telling Najee and Jeter, it's your time to go in there and eat, right? You need to dominate the post. You need to have Najee be working on passing out of double teams and 
I, I kind of half expect at least one Najee to Jeter who his guy left on a double team for a you know pass for a dunk <laughs> because they're gonna they're gonna have to because I don't think they have the 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 horses to keep up with the Zeke Najee but we got to get them the ball in those positions to score and they need to make good decisions when they get there yeah um and in that sense I think it's a very simple offensive game plan you you let you know you get out there and run a little bit you try if you get into the half court you try to put the ball into the post and take smart shots whether that's double teams kicked out for threes guys you know cutting off of uh you know double teams something like that, the points will take care of himself because we're going to presume that you're not going to shoot, you know, 20% again. I would hope not. And, <laughs> and That it, would be awful to watch in McHale Center. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> somebody turned the vent down a little bit. It's blowing the shots off. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, uh, again, I'm, I keep harping on it. I think it really comes down to the defensive effort and the consistency. Um, because if you try to get into a shooting match, it's going to be a close game. Yeah, the offense can be there with its simple game plan, and you can get if you play good defense, you're going to get ten points off of turnovers, right? Um, I mean, we haven't had a three second Josh Green dunk possession in two games or three games at this point. Unless I don't know if there I was one tonight. That. Well, this is, was I say tonight? There was one Wednesday night. I mean, a win is a win. Yeah, but this has about as much value the, as the exhibition game. This game against Gonzaga seems like the type where there's going to be a lot of offense. <laughs> this seems like the type of game where both teams are going to want to get up and down the floor, and whichever one plays a little bit of defense will win the game. But I wonder, and it seems weird to say this against a team that's ranked higher than Arizona, a team that's we know is good and you respect them, but that this is one of those games where if Arizona plays well, they're going to win, where it doesn't matter what Gonzaga does. And part of Arizona playing well means playing defense, at least playing decent defense, maybe even not locked down defense, but decent defense. And that you have to feel like the offense will come. And maybe that's where, um, as I'm going to watch this game, I trust the defense to be okay. And I want to see the effort be there, like you do too. But I do want to see the offense have a rhythm and make sure. So it's going to be McHale Center. It's going to be a friendly environment, so I don't expect them to struggle there. But we haven't seen them make baskets against a good team yet. And I said because they've had one chance. Like, <laughs> they've had one opportunity. You know, like it's and they didn't do it and nobody made shots that day. But seeing them do it against Gonzaga, even if they end up in a 75 to 70 game, I can live with that because in the, the day it's all just about winning. And yeah. this team, we saw them stay in a game against Baylor because they played defense and also because the other team couldn't shoot well. But we'll get over. They play defense. We've seen them win because their offense has been just lights out. Somewhere in between is going to be the norm most nights. But a game like Gonzaga, I don't know if you expect to hold them to 60 points, to 65 points, without that, them having a miserable... If you do that, you win the game yeah. by 10. Yeah, at least. You should. But if they can get into a game against Gonzaga, with both teams playing pretty good basketball, and Arizona wins, whatever the score is, it's a good sign. And again, I'm not, I'm not searching for that good sign. But whereas I know last week we talked, hey, if they lose to Baylor, it's not the end of the world. You're not going to be all down on them, depending, I guess, on how it went and how it ended up going. You don't feel too bad about it, like I said, to start. I almost maybe feel a bit better about them after that game. I, I kind of feel like losing to Gonzaga would make me feel kind of bad, especially cause, mostly because it's at home. And yeah. you cannot, you're not supposed to lose that game at home. I know the, the home non-conference streak has ended. It's long ended. And we've seen them lose at McHale Center. But this team... If it's as good as I think it is, and I want it to be, and I believe it is, they don't lose a game at home. They don't lose this game at home. I'd be curious to see what the line is because I, 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 I'm moderately confident 
partially based on what I saw in the second half. And like if you hold if you hold them to sixty five or under seventy points, I feel pretty good about our chance of winning, right? Um, and that being said, let's just assume you win the game. I'd feel better about a seventy to sixty five win than I do about an eighty five to eighty win because I want to I want to see that defense show up against yeah. a good offensive. Well, team. if it can shut them down, then you'll really know that they can do it, that they have that in them. But Gonzaga is a team that scores eighty six points a game. Oh, They're not easy to defend. I, th- I think if you go in with the mindset of defense first, which Sean Miller would probably almost always, I imagine he does have yeah. that approach and tries yeah. to. If he's been, hopefully, he's been drilling into them in practice. Like you need to be doing this, and you know it's a road game for them. They've got, I think, North Carolina is their next game, so they're they might, you know, they've got a lot of, they got their eyes on a couple of games. Not, you know, we've been looking at this game, had this circled since. Are the you saying they're going to overlook Arizona? No. <laughs> well, but I mean, I mean, North Carolina is not exactly a uh, non-blue blood, <laughs> um, so they got, you know, they're not they're not as going to be necessarily as amped up as we will for this game because this is our. Could that work against Arizona in any way? Potentially, I mean, with the young team, you, that's always a risk. I I think we've talked about it. some of the some of the young guys, the freshmen on our roster. I feel like thrive a little bit in that moment. You know, some of our guys like the high in, high intensity, high effort guys. I'm thinking uh, paging Ira Lee. You know, if he gets a little too amped up, it can become problematic. That's when you insert Coloco in all as well, and he just calmly throws behind the back pass <laughs> six ten foot jumpers, as he does. That's you know what we've come to expect. I mean, he set a high bar of scoring three points a game, making a nice assist. <laughs> Um, but you know, I, th- I, I don't think that, I think our team, the way it's composed this year, I think that they will thrive off that more than it being a, a downside risk. Okay. Well, with that said, Arizona versus Gonzaga, eight o'clock Saturday night at the McHale center. What's going to happen? I think Arizona's going to win it. Yeah. I, I, after, like I said, right after the, the, the loss against Baylor, I mean, it was like, oh, they, I think this was a good, les- good enough lesson, and they showed enough fight that they're going to come out and play D, and the lesson's going to land in practice. That you know, hey, you got to you got to come out and play D, or you're going to get beat. You got a score for me? Ooh, I'm going to go. I think it's going to be lower scoring than expected. Really? Because I think I think I think they're going to come out with a defensive mindset. So I'm going to come with seventy-one to sixty-seven Arizona. Okay. I'm with you. I think the effort saw it in the Wednesday night game, and it's hard to really tell how much of the effort was there because just the superior athletes are going to look. They don't have to try as hard to look like they're playing hard. It's hard to imagine this team not coming out ready to play in this one. It's difficult to imagine Shumar not being on them and then being focused for this game at McHale Center. I do think Arizona's going to win. I don't think they're going to shut Gonzaga down, but I also don't think it's going to be because they're playing bad. I just think the Bulldogs are the type of team that's going to, they know how to score. They know how to put the ball in the basket. And we've seen it sometimes good offense will beat good defense when they're hitting shots in your face or just they're getting good looks and finding a way to get you off kilter a little bit. Wisconsin. Yeah, no, it happens. So I'm going to say Arizona wins this game, I'll say 82 to 74. I, but it's going to be one where you're going to watch and say, you know what, they weren't really that bad defensively. Fair. So. I mean, it's all a guess. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> that's really all. Anyone who's listened to this show pre-Brett, with Brett, predictions are not always our best things here on the this only, show for Wildcat Radio 2.0. The only follow-up on our predictions you will receive is if we were right. Oh, then you're going to hear about it all next show. <laughs> 
But if not, you're gonna we're gonna forget this ever happened. Forget what happened. Exactly. But until then, everyone, thanks for listening and bear down. Bear down.